You're listening to episode 46 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Sarah, he's Alex, and the Cardinals, after a four-game sweep at Wrigley Field, are headed to October. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the show. This is the first show since the Cardinals officially clinched a postseason spot for the first time since 2015. Of course, that coming on the heels of a magical weekend at Wrigley Field, which we will get to in great detail, or at least some detail. We'll key in on a couple of players that made specific and exciting contributions in that series, as well as down the stretch. If you don't know at this point, I'm Tara. You can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman, and I'm joined by Alex Crisofoli. You can follow him on Twitter at AlexCard79. I was away last week, and Alex held down the fort with the assist from Daniel Shopta on the show last week, so thanks to both of you for doing that. Uh, but now I feel like we have a lot to catch up on, Alex, and a lot has happened since then. So I'm not sure where to start other than has it settled in what happened at Wrigley Field over the weekend? Well, well, first, let me say not only has a lot happened since then, but a lot has happened since you started talking. It's true. Are, are you watching the game? <laughs> I am. Okay, yes, I was. Yeah. Just, the game just started in Arizona. Cardinals in game two, and much like last night's game started, Dexter Fowler doing what you expect or what you hope a leadoff guy will do is jump starting the offense, and he's done that uh, in solo home run fashion once again. This time off of old uh, old friend Mike Leake, who's not been great. So that might not be the only home run that we see tonight. But things keep happening. We can't even keep up just with. You know, long enough to do the intro to the show. <laughs> yeah. That, all right. So going back to the weekend, I, I, I still can't even believe that it happened in, in some way. Uh, you know, last two weeks ago, we were, remember, we were talking about, uh, or I guess, no, I'm sorry. Last week, I was talking with Daniel. If you listen, I was like, you know, no, 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 wait, I'm, I'm getting all mixed up. The whole last weekend just ruined my brain. I, I'm pretty sure it was you. I was saying like, would we rather be three up or yeah. four up? Well, now we know we're going to be four up, uh, <laughs> at least four up. We don't have to worry about that series at all. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. That was the perfect weekend of baseball. It could not have been scripted better. I... I don't even know what to say about it. Uh, Mike Bauer, who hosts the Cardinals Overtime uh, podcast. Uh, by the way, did you know there were other baseball podcasts and, and Cardinals what? podcasts? Yeah, apparently we're not getting in on the ground floor on this. Uh, <laughs> but but, but uh, he called it the uh, the Red Wedding at Wrigley. And I think that's my favorite uh, sort of name for uh, what just happened. In Chicago, you know, I've seen massacre at Wrigley, all these other things, but I, I like Red Wedding at Wrigley. I think that perfectly captures what went down. It's so difficult for me to even find words for what happened because, in every way, I feel like it was so unexpected. I mean, we went into that series. We when we talked two weeks ago, we were thinking, okay, if they split the series at Wrigley because they've had such a hard time at Wrigley this year. If they split that series, then win the series the last weekend at home. Uh I mean, we'll feel really good about that regardless of what the Brewers continue to do, which is win and win and win some more, but that's beside the point. So for me, it was just such an unexpected reality 
that they could go into Wrigley and sweep, not only sweep the four game set, but to do it in the way that they did with, with one run games, with taking the lead and then getting down and then coming back with tying it up in the ninth inning and then winning on back to back home runs from, I mean, it just, the most improbable things happened that weekend that it doesn't even feel like it's possibly the real thing. Like eventually I'm just going to wake up and read a, a, an actual game story about what happened at Wrigley. And it's going to be much more like what, um, what we thought was realistic. So that's why I think for me, it was just one thing after the next, after the next. And by the time we got to that, that fourth game on Sunday, it almost did feel inevitable that they were going to pull it off somehow, even though there was also this sort of complimentary feeling of whatever happens is it, it doesn't matter at this point. It's all extra because of everything we'd seen in the first three games. That's why for me, it's so hard to kind of, I don't know, just deal with the reality of what happened because it was so unexpected. Yeah. Make no mistake. They humiliated the Cubs. They yeah. punked the Cubs uh, as well as you can. And uh, I, I was talking to Kiefer on the uh, Behind en- Enemy Lines podcast, and I talked about how greedy I was getting as the series was going on. Like, uh, mm-hmm. y- you know, I-, I wanted basically anything but a sweep, meaning the Cubs sweep the Cardinals and not the other way around. So I was like, you know, if you just win one game, you're still leaving Chicago. Um, ahead in the division, they still have to come to St. Louis. You're still in a good spot to win that division. So that's acceptable. And then they win that first right. game, which was perhaps the most improbable. That, that, that <laughs> game, I think, I th- was actually more enjoyable in a way than Saturday's game, although Saturday's yeah. had its own quirks to it as well. But after they won that, after they won that game, then I wasn't satisfied anymore. I was like, all right, you know. A split. That's what we want. A split. And then it's, you know, we, we completely hold serve and they don't gain any ground. And, you know, there's nothing we can complain about with a split. In fact, that's, you know, in hostile territory, that's about as much as you can ask for. And then they win that, that game two to one. And then I'm thinking like, okay, no, I want three games. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't want, I don't want the Cubs to be able to come back and split, you know, that's going to leave a sour taste in our mouth. So as Saturday's game was going on, I, you know, and especially with how crazy back and forth that was going, I really wanted to get that game. And then fourth game rolled around and it was kind of the same thing. And what's funny is it's kind of necessary, not because of the Cubs. Uh, you know, we yeah. could have left with uh, a split and the Cubs weren't going to catch us, but the Brewers apparently aren't going to lose again. So that sweep was very, very important, not just because we got to uh, bury the Cubs, but it might end up being somewhat necessary to feel comfortable uh, with the Brewers this week. Yeah, the, it is, as the first couple of games went along, I think I tweeted, maybe even after that second game, is it possible the, that the last series of the season actually means more for the Brewers than it does for the Cubs or the Cardinals? And as it turns out, yes, it probably does. I mean, the Brewers already winning again. Today, I believe so. You, the Cardinals have to they, hold serve they won again. Yeah, the ah. the Reds came very close to tying it up off of uh, off of Josh Hader, okay. but did not. Left the tying run stranded. So the Brewers again <laughs> pulling off a win. But look, we knew this going into this week, right? The the last two weeks of the season, the Brewers had probably the 
most beneficial schedule that anyone in the mix as far as the postseason is concerned in the National League could really have. And that's playing a Pirates team that's absolutely demolished and then playing a Reds team that has their moments and can put a bunch of runs on the board and has some pitching that's interesting, but doesn't necessarily scare anyone at this point. So we knew that this was part of the reality of the last couple of weeks that the Cardinals were going to have to do their jobs against much tougher opponents while the Brewers had a chance to make up some ground or at least, you know, keep it interesting because of the competition they were going to face. Yeah, I thought once uh, the Brewers are no longer playing the Pirates, who we have found out are not even really a Major League Baseball team, that, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to just skate right through Cincinnati and and uh, even Colorado, who's not very good. But, you know, again, it's going to be at Coors Field and weird things happen at Coors Field. Um, and that may still be the case. This is just one game. But it sure would be nice if the Reds could steal a game or two games, you know, kind of like the way they helped us out with the Cubs about a week ago. Uh, yeah. You know, I was listening to Sing Red podcast. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, Cardinals overtime podcast, and they both mentioned something that I had either forgotten about or didn't know happened. And that's that when the Cubs clinched in 2017 at Bush Stadium, I certainly remember them staying on the field for a long time and mugging for the camera, you know, for a very long time and and making Mm -hmm. it a point to be like, we just won on your home turf and we're going to celebrate and whatever. That's fine. I did not remember that they basically went into then the clubhouse, the visitor's clubhouse with the goal of essentially trashing the place. Did you remember this? Vaguely. I mean, I I think, block out a lot of what was happening there but yes that does sound familiar (laughs) that is so uh obnoxious to me that that is like all right so whenever you read about like say led zeppelin or or motley crew or some of these like drug-fueled bands um who are known to like trash hotel rooms or something you know Mm -hmm. that always sounds cool until you remember like it's not conrad hilton who comes in and cleans up the hotel room you know (laughs) it's always some lowly paid worker at the hotel and that's the same thing here it's not like bill dewitt went in and cleaned off the visitors clubhouse it was some poor um you know person on staff who who has to do that i think that's so obnoxious and two years later i'm kind of mad about it and i want them to basically go in with their B team this weekend and beat the Cubs, embarrass them again. And then I want Tyler O'Neill to go into the visitors clubhouse and watch them as they pack up their stuff and escort <laughs> them out of the stadium and just get like them out of there. Yeah. Get them out of there. I think that's so obnoxious. I don't, and maybe I sound like an old man right now, but I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, right? To yeah, say like, we're going to trash the place. We're going to like, you know, ruin the carpet. Am I being uh, lame? I I don't think so. I mean, I think anyone with any, I mean, that the opponent in any case is going to probably not not appreciate that sentiment. But I do think it's fair. There's there's a way to celebrate. There's a way to, you know, have your moment and not make it about the other team. And to me, that makes it about the other team. And you know, if the Cardinals had, they did clinch a postseason spot. They opted to not go for some big celebration at Wrigley this weekend because they are aiming for that division title. But had they chosen to do that, I don't feel like their intention would have been, let's make this harder on 
the people at Wrigley and yeah. that because that well, makes it about the other team, right? That makes the win about the opponent instead of about you as a team. Well, and that's why it, I wouldn't want that as a, if I was on the team, I would be like, let's maybe, let's maybe refocus our efforts here in this celebration. Now I do think there's a different, like I, there's certainly nothing wrong with celebrating and especially being excited based on the fact of who you just beat. And there's a sure. difference between, doing that and then going, oh, crap, we just trashed the place versus, <laughs> hey, let's trash this place, right. you know, with the actual intent to to wreck the place. And, you know, why do I care? I don't know. It's not like Bush Stadium has – it's not like the Visitors Clubhouse at Bush Stadium has any meaning to me really or, like, <laughs> I, I didn't have to clean it up. But to me, that's just like – I don't know. I'm surprised I didn't hear about that when it happened because I feel like I would have remembered it. But yeah, I'm glad we just embarrassed them. You know, I, I like all my Cubs friends and stuff, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad we put them in their place because <laughs> that's where they belong. Agreed. Agreed. Um, although I do think it is fair to say that the Cubs could still in some fashion play spoiler that last weekend because of what the Brewers are doing. The path for the Brewers mm -hmm. to win the division is really difficult, but if the Cardinals stumble and the Brewers keep winning, the Cubs could still play a part in determining how that ends up the last weekend, which could be a little bit stressful. But the, the Cardinals just have to do their job and, and they won't have to worry about that. They could clinch before that last series, although I guess with the Brewers win today, it would be a little bit more difficult. The magic number is three, so any combination yeah. of two Cardinals wins and a Brewers loss or two Brewers losses, which doesn't seem likely at this point, and a, a Cardinals win will do it. There are a lot of ways that can happen. The Cardinals just kind of have to, to do their thing. Before we talk about a couple of guys specifically, we want to talk about Yadier Molina because I, I don't know how you don't talk about Yadier Molina after this weekend. And also Tommy Edmond, because I also don't know how you don't talk about Tommy Edmond at all anymore because he seems to be such a factor in every single game for this team. Was there anyone else over the weekend that stood out as a, a part of this mix. I mean, let me back up. One of the yeah. things that was so interesting to me about this weekend is that it wasn't just Yadier Molina, right? It was Matt Carpenter in the opener, the most unlikely of heroes. It was Yadier Molina. It was Paul DeYoung. It was Marcelo Zuna. It was Harrison Bader. It was Edmund. It was so many guys had a moment in the weekend that it wasn't like, okay, if, if Paul Goldschmidt isn't, Paul Goldschmidt, they don't have a chance in this series because someone else stepped up. The, I feel like the most special teams going into a postseason are the teams where that happens. Yeah, and you know who I think we're even overlooking is Carlos Martinez. Yeah. He he was awesome. Uh, you know, the leadoff walks drive everyone nuts, and, and for good reason. And so, Sure, in that first game, you don't want to put that leadoff guy on. But after that, it was kind of bad luck. Uh, you know, Goldschmidt probably should have been um, playing the lot. You know, playing doubles defense a little bit more uh, on that ball that sneaked by him at first base. That was it. Contreras, who basically had a swinging, you know, that little dribbler up the third base yeah. line. I mean, that's just bad luck. Um, not that Carlos was good because he wasn't, but he but he wasn't like. I didn't feel like he was the disaster that he was portrayed to be. And then he just came out like a shredder the next couple of games. I, I, I mm -hmm. think in game two, he was kind of, I want to say he was nibbling a little bit to Garcia, which I didn't love because uh, I, I believe Zobrist, who 
who hasn't who's had a very weird year, but you know, still I'd rather I think it was Garcia. I'd still rather be pitching to Robel Garcia versus uh, Zobris in that situation, but it ended up not mattering. And then just the way he mowed down Baez in the third game was yeah. something to watch, uh, even with uh, a Baez who has a compromised thumb, as um, as we all know. But he was certainly up there swinging hard. I mean, those were big cuts. So <laughs> that was just a great, you know, one, two, three. Uh, it kind of reminded me of that scene in Major League when he strike when uh, Charlie Sheen strikes out Clue Haywood with those three straight. Uh, you know, I don't think they were all fastballs that Carlos was throwing, but he was definitely throwing some nasty stuff. Uh, so yeah, he was huge. Um, you're exactly right, though. There's and there's no one who just put the team on their back and said, "All right, we're going to do this." It was different guys stepping up at different times. And not to be overlooked, there were moments like the sack flies from Paul Goldschmidt and Dexter Fowler that ended up being keys to those one run games. Right. So every, I mean, there were guys who had the big home run or the big double down the line or the, you know, Jose Martinez and that leadoff triple (laughs) what, (laughs) but there were other guys who contributed, even if it didn't show up in quite the same dramatic way in the, in the scorebook at the end of the night. And, and that was, this I said it I think in the birds on the black group chat I know I said it to a couple of other people I haven't really felt a whole lot of times this year that this team as a unit was something special this was special this weekend and and it felt like maybe the culmination of what a lot of these guys Adam Wainwright Yadier Molina Mike Schilt um, you know Colton Wong at times Paul Goldschmidt have all been saying is that look we we know what we are we know who we are and we know that we can come up with these wins when we need them and and so far they've done that which is I think that's part of why it was so unexpected is because they they haven't always done that this year and all of a sudden when it matters the most they were able to pull it off when did you last feel uh the way you felt kind of in the bottom of the 10th uh Thursday night bottom of the ninth Friday uh I I don't know if you're like me but I'm pacing around uh yeah uh just you know, standing in different spots in my room. And I'm trying to think when I last had that feeling. And it's been a while. I know it was a regular season game, but even playoff games uh, don't get much more high anxiety than that. And because they essentially felt like playoff games. because They did. Because, we, because of how important they were. And we felt as if, you know, if we can win these games and there's a very good chance we're going to the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened. In 2011, when it was kind of like, they have to win every game for forever now. <laughs> and there were a couple of times where they're, they they kept saying, our backs are against the wall. That's what this series felt like. It wasn't the same as far as how the math works out. They didn't have to win all four of those games. But the way they played felt like they knew that they had the Cubs on the ropes. And I think it was Paul DeYoung that said they smelled blood in the water. And they played like it. They played like they knew that at any point the game could turn and they had to make sure that it turned in their favor. And I'm not saying that it's been since 2011 since it felt like that, but that's what a lot of those games down the stretch did feel like at that point. I mean, I think at times last year in August when they were on such a, a torrid pace, there was the same kind of excitement, but I also don't think there was the same kind of tension. And I don't know that there really has been in really the last handful of years since the Cardinals were back in the postseason. The, yeah, and... It was just so incredible the way 
when it was all said and done, they essentially broke the Cubs. Uh, and not just mm-hmm. the team as a whole, but kind of like their fan base. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah. if... Uh, <laughs> Uh, are you familiar with the blog uh, Bleacher Nation? It's a very popular Cubs yeah. blog, and for good reason. Uh, he does a he does a good job. But it either got liked or somehow it ended up in my timeline. But after I, I believe after DeYoung's home run in the third game, where they took the lead in the ninth, he tweeted like, "Guys, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. You, you know, I, I'll, I'll write the recap later if I feel like it." <laughs> I'm just like, we broke them. <laughs> like we, the Cardinals have destroyed the Cubs, at least for this year. And, you know, and I think we need to be cognizant of that is this is a rivalry, finally, where it feels like both teams have the ability to be very good uh, at the same time. And so it wasn't, you know, that long ago where we felt like we couldn't do anything right against the Cubs. And uh, and now it feels the other way. Yeah, the the last time they were at Wrigley. Yeah, yeah. In in a... (laughs) But I mean, more on like a grander scale where they owned us in every single way possible. And you know what? A year from now, it could be back. You know, the pendulum could already be back, you know, on their side. And and that's, uh, obviously, I don't want that to happen. But this is fun. Like, this is what a rivalry should be like. And so it feels good to be on this side again. Yeah. And speaking of breaking the Cubs, they're currently losing nine to two to the Pirates. So oh, hold up, they were they were up one nothing when I checked. Like, what yeah, that long ago? it's it's nine two. Oh my uh, the Pirates gracious. scored seven runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. They are finished, and it yeah, it's it's real real bad to lose like that to the Pirates right now. Um, so yes, the Cubs are broken as, as far as we can tell. Maybe they'll be re-energized for that last series in St. Louis. Although at this point, I think I just I feel like it would be really hard to find a, a way to be re-energized after the demoralizing weekend and then losing like this to the Pirates. It's it's going to be difficult for them to to find a way to factor in to what happens in the Central in that last weekend, but it's, it's certainly possible. We don't want to underestimate it just because the Pirates finally put some runs on the board. Let's talk a little bit about Yadier Molina because, man, I feel like so many times we've kind of told the story of the end of Yadier Molina, right? As, as this is his career winding down and he really needs to be a part-time player. And whether it was Carson Kelly or now with uh, Matt Wieters or maybe next year with Andrew Kisner, the, this story is always, man, how long can he really do this? And then all of a sudden he turns it on again and you go, Oh, he's going to do this forever. That's, that's (laughs) how this goes. Um, He's, played like a kid playing in the backyard. Honestly, he's played like when we saw him last in the World Baseball Classic and he had that energy and that excitement and that determination and that clutch factor that we've seen so many times in the highest moments of his career. You know, three weeks ago or so, he was the NL player of the week. And at that point we were like, yeah, he's good, but maybe it was just me. But Colton Wong's been better. And he just continues to come up in clutch spots, including a couple of times this weekend, watching him kind of be the the one to break the Cubs a couple of different times over the weekend was huge. Uh, four days ago, we watched him, you know, be part of that back-to-back home run moment in the ninth with Paul DeYoung. 
Um, there was an article, uh, Craig Ed- Edwards, I think earlier this week about the factor that he's been behind the plate in limiting not only stolen bases, but in limiting stolen base attempts and in limiting pass balls and wild pitches. Like it's lower than anyone else in the league. I mean, there's so much to say about Yadier Molina. And I feel like this weekend proved that on such another level where in the biggest moments, Yadi seems to be the one that shines the brightest. Yeah. Uh, how slow was that trot around the bases after he homered <laughs> off? Kimble? I think he enjoyed yeah, that a little he, bit. Uh, so <laughs> I, I like your comparison to the World Baseball Classic. I hadn't thought of that, but that that does kind of seem like what we're watching right now in terms of this version of Yachty. And, you know, he's, he's 37 years old. I, I think he's still... Um, officially in his age 36 season i think he's like born a day after whenever that calendar sort of flips over for baseball as baseball is concerned um but but i was just messing around earlier and since 1947 there have only been 10 seasons by a catcher um where they played 99 percent of the time uh at catcher meaning you know not they're not taking little breaks over at first base or anywhere else only 10 different seasons by a catcher of 400 or more plate appearances at age 37 or more at age. Yeah. And you have to think Yachty will probably hit that mark next year um, when he is technically in his age 37 season, you know, barring some injury, which as we know, can happen when you're behind the plate as often as he is. But yeah, there's just no sign of him seemingly slowing down. And so next year would be the last year technically on his contract. Right. As far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see, how they use him next year. And I have to believe it's going to be very similar this year. It doesn't seem like it's ever on the schedule for him to get a ton of rest. And if, if that is the case and he has a solid season, is he going to start signing these like kind of one year contracts like Wainwright did? Um, And, you know, and how long can he really go? (laughs) I mean, uh, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, I, I want to say, I think Dane Perry wrote the article about, uh, Pudge uh, around the time he mm. retired of just how many times has he squatted in his career, you yeah. know, and like, um, you know, th- that's the thing with catchers, they should get credit just for showing up, you know, and, right. and they haven't really gotten enough credit. There, there are too few catchers in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Yachty gets a lot of credit just for showing up and being a average catcher, you know, let alone a great catcher. Um, and, you know, he's certainly... I don't think he has the same uh, arm to second base like he used to. You know, we've seen a little slippage here and there, but I think we can uh, forgive that for a guy who's 37 and still playing like he is. And speaking of playing like he is, since he returned from his last injury, he has 153 plate appearances, 288, 346, 468. So, I mean, he's just been, he's just been very, very good. I, it's, it's remarkable. And on top of that, his, According to Fangraphs, his batting average in high leverage situations is 341. He's got a, a 147 WRC plus in what they cate- categorize as high leverage situations. And that's where I feel like, man, Yachty creates these moments where it's just like, he might have looked real terrible in the three at bats before, but that fourth one, man, he's going to change the game and he's going to do it in in dramatic fashion. And it's it's so exciting because of the energy and the passion that he brings to it as well yeah no question i i mean i, I don't even know what else, what else to say about the guy anymore uh 
you know, one of these days it's going to, I guess, be the end. I don't know when that is, but one of these days it is going to be the end. I'm just thinking what it's going to be like the very last time seeing him, you know, putting on the gear and, you know, I, I don't like to be cheesy or rattle off cliches about this stuff, but it will be kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a little emotional when we finally do have to say yeah. goodbye to him just because he's been such a constant um, for so long. I mean, it's not unheard of to see a catcher uh, last as long as Yachty has, but it is almost unheard of to see a catcher be primarily a catcher for as long as Yachty has for one team. You know, you just yeah. don't see that all that often. And he's done it in a way that impacts the game more than the stat sheet will ever show a couple of things real quick from this Craig Edwards article that were really uh, striking. I think if you're looking from a numbers perspective since 2005, when Yachty basically became the full-time catcher, the Cardinals have the lowest total stolen base attempts against the lowest total by 400 Mm -hmm. and they're nearly 700 attempts below average. Right. That's insane. And then, you know, if you go a little further, you look at the stolen bases allowed in that same time frame. The Cardinals are more than 300 steals below the second best team and are nearly 600 steals below average. It just, it's one of those things that like that number pops out and there's no good way to categorize how much that makes a difference in win totals or in run prevention or whatever it is. It's not really included when you look at stats like war or whatever, but that's a massive credit to what Yadier Molina has been and the way that not only his ability defensively, but the way that he manages a pitching staff so that there aren't stolen bases off the pitcher. And that, you know, there's so much that goes into that mm-hmm. that I just, it's incredible to see him continue to do that year after year, as well as put up those big offensive numbers when it matters the most. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what the stats say now, but I remember a few years ago there were, uh, stats out there that basically said a, a pitcher pitching the Yadier Molina is different from the same pitcher when he's not pitching the Yadier Molina. Now there can be several things going on there. Uh, and uh, what, what that means is like, take like Mike Leake, for example, is pitching in this game. Uh, although I don't know if he would even be a solid example here, but let's just use him anyway. Uh, pitchers when they're with Yadier Molina and throwing to him have, traditionally had a much better ERA than when they are pitching elsewhere, if, if it didn't make sense the first time. And, and like I said, there can be reasons for that that might not have anything to do with Yachty. But he has enough of those sort of little anecdotes about him, you know, that eventually you just got to yeah. be like something, you know, there's, there's just too many things on this side, you know, of the debate where I'm just – I'm fine just throwing up my hands and saying like, you know what? He's a hall of famer. If you all want to argue yeah. about it, that's your problem. But what- I, there was, there was a comment just recently about uh, Andrew Miller basically saying, yeah, I'd heard about it, but it was way different when I was, you know, actually the one throwing to Yadier or Molina. Mm. So, and you know, it's always interesting to me because there are guys who haven't been that successful throwing to Yachty. There are guys who have, so it's not like a one size fits all. Everybody automatically gets better when you're pitching to Yachty or Molina. Um, some guys just, you know, it, there's a, a communication thing. There's, you've got to connect and and be on the same page and, and all of those things are true. So not everyone is going to be, you know, this exponentially better version of themselves as a pitcher simply because they're throwing to Yachty or Molina. But there are so many stories like 
the one shared, I think it was on a, one of the Fox Sports Midwest um, broadcasts maybe last week that was talking about Andrew Miller saying, yeah, you know, I'd heard about it. I'd heard the same stories, but I didn't realize how significant it was until I got to experience it for myself. And it might just be one of those things that you can't really understand it. You can't really explain it. So we all just kind of from the outside looking in have to go, yep, it's a thing. I don't, (laughs) I don't know how to tell you what it means, but it's a thing. And um, just enjoy it while it lasts, I guess. Amen. So that's Yadier Molina. If you uh, have any additional thoughts on Yadi and want to share them, feel free to to do that on Twitter or on the blog. Or if you just want to be nostalgic, we did a whole week celebrating Yadier Molina over at birdsontheblack.com last year. There's still a tab for Yadi Week, and you can check out some really great content there. But moving from sort of the, the stalwart of the face of the organization to the new guy, the, the fresh-faced 15-year-old, as far as what he looks like, Tommy Edmond. Let's talk about <laughs> Tommy Edmond, because just about a month ago, we did a show where we were basically like, what is happening with Tommy Edmond? Because he's not really that good, he shouldn't be batting second, and he definitely shouldn't be playing in right field. And now he might be the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, he has the highest slugging on the team somehow. Uh, now, granted, he has uh, fewer plate appearances than a lot of the regulars because he you know, came up halfway through the season. But he is leading – I can't stress this enough. He's leading the team in slugging. It's, it is crazy. He's slugging 500 entering <laughs> today. Uh, and forget his offense just for a quick second. And, and this is why I liked him even when we were complaining about uh, that set offense. Uh, he can play several positions and play them well. Uh, Colton Wong gets hurt in the uh, first game. That's perhaps the only bad thing that happened um, in that whole series, and, and it's um, and it was bad. It's it's nothing, you know. It's nothing to to pretend is not a big deal. But the fact that we have Tommy Edmond who can shift over there instead of whether it had been Carpenter or, or Munoz or someone I'm, I'm forgetting, I don't know if anyone else keeps Hayward's grounder in the infield um, mm. in the, in the uh, bottom of the ninth. And if that ball leaves the infield, there's a very good chance we don't even get to the 10th inning. And just think how different that series could be if we complete that meltdown and lose that first game, allowing them to score four runs in the, in the bottom of the ninth. I mean, just saying that sounds like a disaster. And so, you know, we certainly trust Colton Wong to make that, that play. Um, and without having Colton Wong, it sure is nice to be able to have another guy who can make that play. I mean, he may have saved that series, which that sounds dramatic for a, a series we ended up sweeping. But again, who knows what would have happened back to his bats we were talking about this earlier, but since we did that podcast where we were complaining about, I, you know, I think the thing with him is we were never complaining necessarily much about him playing. We were complaining more about where and when he was playing, which is right. where he was playing in the outfield and the fact that he was batting second in the uh, batting second in the lineup. But since then, 127 plate appearances, 350, 402. 632 for 168 WRC+. Uh, and I remember when we were having that discussion, we were like, 
kind of being obnoxious and sarcastic and like being like, does Mike Schill actually think this is the type of hitter he is? Um, or <laughs> Mike Schill recognizes he, had, he hasn't been this hitter, but knows he's about to turn into this hitter. And that's a ba- basically what happened. He's been the ideal <laughs> bat you would want at that second spot in the lineup. You know, the only player who regularly has a WRC plus over 168 is Mike Trout. I think that's <laughs> yeah. that's essentially it, I believe, in, in terms of year to year. And I don't think Tommy Evans is going to have a 168. I don't think he's a 168 WRC plus guy. Uh, I was telling someone else, you know, there's a very good chance he is just kind of like Daniel Descalzo. Uh, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If that's who he is going forward, he's always he's going to be able to carve out a 10 year career in baseball uh, with that sort of profile. And that's great. Uh, but the ceiling, I think, would be, uh, and I think this is a guy I mentioned when we first talked about him a while ago. I think the ceiling would be someone like Ben Zobrist, you know, if this bat yeah. actually is for real. People always talk about, well, you know, uh, his minor league, you know, stats are worse than what he's putting up in the major league. So this is obviously isn't real. And I think that's valid, but it also doesn't take into account that we don't know what has changed since then. We don't know if he's changed. Um, at least I don't know, you know, if, if he's changed his approach, if he's gotten different instruction, if something clicked. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, he it, it's crazy to think just think about a guy who I wish Kyle was here to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he was even like a one of our top 10 prospects heading into the season. Then he has a crazy spring and jumps up on the radar and then they call him up and he does this. It's it's amazing. One of my favorite moments from, I want to say it was Saturday's game, was uh, Danny Mac talking about Tommy Edmond and um, whoever was with him in the booth this weekend. Was it Tim McCarver in the booth with him this weekend at times? It was. It might not have been Saturday. I don't remember what game it was. But anyway, one of the games recently, I, my, my brain's mush, but I was also traveling. So I was only watching like bits and pieces of games here and there. So I don't remember what game it was in, but it it might not have been, um, in that four game set then, because I'm pretty sure it was Tim McCarver, uh, who said something about, man, did anybody, anybody see this coming in the spring? And Danny Mac was like, yeah, yeah, actually I did. I thought he was the best player in in spring <laughs> and tim was like what really really you thought it was amazing oh, no you're right it, um, it was no. mccarver it was mccarver i'm sorry yeah, okay yeah. all right i could i genuinely could not remember what uh what game it was that that took place but it was funny because you know people who paid attention in the spring there was a there was some clamoring for tommy Edmond to make the opening day roster because he'd been that good and everybody was kind of like yeah but there's not really a place for him to play so it's better for him to stay in minor leagues for now until there's a spot for him. And then what happened happened with Matt Carpenter. And, um, you know, all of a sudden there was some available playing time for a, a utility guy on the infield. And boy, when he was given the opportunity, he certainly didn't, didn't let go of it. He just hit a couple of balls real hard uh, yeah. in and at bat while we're talking about him. It, I keep yeah. waiting for him to do something awesome while we're talking about him, but it ended up not happening. But, um, man, the kid takes good at bats and, he seems like he's not phased by the pressure of the moment. And there might be nothing better as a Cardinals fan than that one obscure guy that no one else in baseball knows about being the one to come up at the end of the year and 
make a splash and save the season or or have the clutch moment, whether it's Tommy Edmond or Ron Hell Ravello right now. It's a lot of fun to see the opponent go, I'm sorry, who? Every time something exciting happens. So Tommy Edmond, for all of the the criticism that uh, that we offered, that was offered during the stretch where Mike Schilt was playing him maybe a little ahead of where we felt like he should be, hat tip to Mike Schilt for seeing something that we didn't, which is what I always like to see in the manager of a baseball team, that they actually know things that we don't and are maybe a little bit better at calling the shots than we would be. Otherwise, uh, why do they have that very rare job? So kudos to Mike Schilt for that. And man, Tommy Edmond has become just such a fun player to watch because you never know what ridiculous thing he's going to do next. And I mean, it's been this is sort of a diversion for a moment because obviously that, that series took place without Colton Wong at the top of the order with Dexter Fowler and Colton Wong hitting one, two, that was really exciting. Then you kind of had at the back end of that lineup, Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond. And when they're both on base at the same time, that's a whole different kind of excitement mm-hmm. as well as, you know, the pop in, in both of those bats, if they, if they get a hold of one. So there's a lot of exciting points in this lineup right now. And as we said about the series as a whole, it's not necessarily coming from one guy or, or the usual suspects. I was actually listening to a Cubs podcast after the series. And um, one of the hosts of the show is a guy that I've had on series previews a number of times. And, and so I was listening to their, their post series reactions. And one of the things that they said, which I find very interesting is that this lineup isn't very impressive when you look at the Cardinals. And I think it's because there's not the name recognition, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a guy that's batting like 340 and has, you know, 45 home runs or whatever. You don't have the the superstar guy. So when you look at the lineup, the opponent right now, at least from what I keep hearing, is this lineup isn't that impressive. I don't think it's really that good. It's because you've got guys like Tommy Edmond and, uh, you know, Harrison Bader and Colton Wong kind of stepping up and and leading the charge, which is what I think all the best teams eventually do. Um, they just usually have a, a star at the anchor of it that isn't that doesn't look like he's, you know, 15 years old and doesn't have his license yet. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I'll say about Edmund is the, you know, I guess the worry about him or what people wish he was a little bit better at would be drawing a walk. Um, yeah. And but we've seen that before with Paul DeYoung, uh, who when Paul DeYoung was a rookie, he he had a like under five percent walk rate, and he's basically uh, doubled it since then. Mm-hmm. So it's not unheard of to be able to get better at that as well. Uh, you know, I, I think for a while the conventional wisdom was you either kind of see the ball or you don't. And you know, I don't know if I, I don't think it's that simple. We've certainly seen guys who have been able to. Uh, improve at the plate, DeYoung being one of them. Uh, speaking of which, Paul DeYoung's not doing well in the batting race, Tara. I should probably tell you that. Uh, <laughs> it's we'll, been we'll a while final, since we've checked we'll, in. We'll, but... we'll have a final update next <laughs> next week. But, uh, he's going to have to go on a tear this week. Uh, yeah, it's it's probably not going to happen. I, I'll, I'll just give you a spoiler right there. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see what type of player he can be going forward. Yeah, it, he's been a spark that I think this team needed in a lot of ways and, and has allowed space for some of those other guys to kind of find their, their footing as well. Alex, the Brewers continue to win. The Cardinals have a one run lead 
in a Jack Flaherty start, which seems like that's the only way Jack Flaherty starts can go is that they, the, the offense can only score a single run. We'll see what happens there. The Cubs have lost. The Nationals are officially in the postseason. All the things are happening. Mm-hmm. Anything else we want to say about this team before we get to uh, to the trip of the week? Hmm. I feel like there's so much to say. Uh, I, <laughs> I I was like binging, uh, just reading about the series, uh, podcasts, um, both uh, enemy and friendly podcasts. You know, I, I hate to say it. I was kind of enjoying uh, listening to a lot of Mm-hmm. Miserable Cubs podcast. Um, <laughs> the one I mentioned, they also said that Cardinals Devil Magic is back, uh, and that made me very happy. <laughs> um, it just feels good to be back in this spot. Um, it would be great if they went on a one of those and a run in October where you know none of us are getting any sleep, but it's all worth it. Um, so I, I kind of miss those days. If uh, if they could pull something like that off, that would be great. Agreed. Well, there's still some excitement to be had, and there's still the Cubs in whatever form they end up taking by the time they make it to St. Louis for this weekend. But by the time we talk next, all of that will be decided. So big, big week, big weekend. Uh, Hopefully lots of exciting things to talk about by the time we do this again. But before we do that, I don't want to skip over the trip of the week. Okay. So... I was thinking about Saturday's game and how it seemed like basically any fly ball, any ball you got in the air had a chance of being a home run, right? Yeah. And we've seen conditions at Wrigley like that before. And so that's nothing unheard of at Wrigley. But I think I can say this with confidence. I was at a game at Wrigley when the conditions were worse than they've ever been not just at Wrigley, but maybe at any ballpark ever. Uh, it was May 11th, 2003. And you're not going to find any record of this game on baseball reference or anywhere because it was called after four innings with the Cardinals up 11 to 9. <laughs> so it ended up not counting. Uh, but I was in the bleachers with a friend of mine. I don't know if you remember when I said a couple weeks ago, I'm going to be in Nashville this weekend with a friend of mine, uh, with a bunch of friends, but one of whom is a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. That was this friend. <laughs> we were in the bleachers on this date. The wind is blowing out at 45 miles per hour. I- I'm not kidding. There were, uh, and I was reading about this on ESPN earlier, A uh, there's an old post on ESPN about games that were lost due to weather, meaning games in which people hit home runs, but then they were taken away because the game ended up uh, being canceled. Um, and let me just read to you about this one. A record seven home runs were lost in this game. Moises Alou, two-run home run. Albert Pujols, Grand Slam. And let me tell you about that Pujols Grand Slam. We were in the left field bleachers, and it went on to Waveland. Uh, meaning it went over our heads. And there's nothing quite like seeing a ball hit that ends up going over over you. It, it's when you're when you're that far away from home play. It's it's you know, you see balls hit out of rigby all the time, but having that perspective when the ball is, is just sailing over your head is really something to see. Uh, anyway, Corey Patterson, solo home run. Tino Martinez hit two home runs. This is like the highlight of Tino Martinez's St. Louis Cardinals career. He had two home runs, and then they were both erased. Troy O'Leary hit a two-run homer, and Alex uh, Gonzalez hit a two-run homer. 
Uh, so seven home runs, and they all ended up being canceled because the game was called after four innings. It shouldn't have even started in the first place. Uh, if you forgive me, I found an old post at uh, Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, this was from 2014 when the the author, Al Yellen, was also at the game, and he also called it the worst conditions he'd ever seen and that the only reason they basically started the game was because they knew they could get a bunch of money from concessions and stuff like that. The uh, craziest thing I remember is – and I had to look it up, but it was Jim Edmonds who hit the ball. He hit a ball very high in the air that was sailing into the kind of the foul territory in left field, like not not too far from where Bartman was, I guess. Um, and Moises Alou, uh, who was a left fielder at the time, was drifting over there. Tara, the ball ended up bouncing in left center. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The ball, the wind all of a sudden grabbed the ball and just threw it over into left center field while Moises Alou was standing right on the foul line. Basically, like, you have to be kidding me. Uh, and I believe Edmonds, you know, ended up getting a double. Um, <laughs> but again, none of this ended up counting. Uh, and it's very weird to go to a game that ends up uh, not counting for anything, and you're left wondering, well, you know, what just happened there? But something did happen that did have a major impact, and that's that Eli Marrero, uh, I don't remember what inning it was, it obviously either the first, second, third, or fourth, very early in the game, because the conditions were so bad, he severely sprained his ankle uh, trying to catch a ball in the outfield. His his foot just slipped on the turf, and as we know, that can happen when it's raining, and he ended up missing several months. Uh, as I said, I was in the bleachers, and the bleacher uh, people were not yelling very kind things to him, and this is as he was being carried off on a stretcher. Uh, so it was, <laughs> it was kind of a very ugly scene. And... You know, I heard uh, a lot of people try and think about other pivotal Cardinals-Cubs series uh, uh, late in the season. And one that people often pointed to, um, and I think Daniel and I talked about this last week, was when the Cardinals and Cubs played a five-game series at the end of the 2003 season. Well, that was supposed to be a four-game series. The reason why it turned into a five-game series was because of this game. was because of this game in May (laughs) that ended up being canceled and they had to reschedule it. Uh, as we know, the Cubs ended up taking four or five, and that propelled them to win the division that year and, you know, le- left a bad taste in our mouth. So we can, again, feel better about all that. You know, we exercised all of our demons this past weekend, uh, one of the demon being uh, this game in which Albert Pujols hit a massive grand slam, Tino Martinez hit a couple of homers, and it was off or not even Eli Marrero's uh, sprained ankle um, because uh, the weather was so bad and the game didn't even count. And uh, that is your trip of the week. If you can find, if anyone can find a box score from this game, I would love to see it because it was absolutely bonkers. But again, I don't think it can be found because the game didn't really exist. I love there's like a file of lost games or or lost sports moments that didn't technically count for anything and i love that kind of random trivia that no one really remembers unless for example you were there so that's why you remember it specifically <laughs> that's amazing and uh that that's one of the things about Wrigley that is always so terrifying is that you really never know what's going to happen when a ball is up in the air and there were some weird conditions over the weekend for sure, but nothing quite like that. Can I say something nice about Wrigley real yes. quick? You can't beat Wrigley for a big series. 
Yeah. I mean, I, you feel you feel like the crowd is right there. They're into it. They're loud. Um, the, and the Cardinals fans showed up too. I mean, there were a lot of Cardinals fans who, you know, that were all over the park. So that was great to see. But that ballpark, when it's a big game, when it's packed like that, and it often is packed, you can't beat it, in my opinion. I'm talking mostly uh, aesthetically speaking. You know, <laughs> once the ball, once when the wind's blowing out. And weird things are happening. Sometimes I wish uh, the Cardinals were anywhere else. But uh, for my money, you, visually and just, you know, the crowd, everything, it doesn't get better than a Cardinals-Cubs game at Wrigley Field. I think that unpredictability does kind of lend itself to the electricity of the, the entire series, though. So maybe that is maybe that is part of it. Um, there's There's obviously such a history and a legacy there. And I know a lot of people a lot of Cardinals fans are are not high on Wrigley as a place to to go watch a game, but I actually really like um, the ballpark and the history that's there and the environment. And I've never had particularly negative experiences there. Um, so it's, it's a great place for a series like that to happen. And man, you could feel how important it was. I, there was, there was a conversation last night. I, I think it might've even been, um, in regards to Paul Goldschmidt playing in Arizona for the first time since being traded, that 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 was cool and the response was nice, but it paled in comparison to just the environment of playing at Wrigley Field over the weekend with the size of the crowd and the intensity of the reaction. So, yeah, man, Wrigley in September, Cubs-Cardinals, or any rivalry series at Wrigley, I think is um, it's great for, for the excitement of the game for sure agree all right well nothing has changed this might be the only part of the show that nothing has changed during <laughs> the last two or three minutes uh the cardinals are still holding on to a one nothing lead in the fourth inning in arizona and we will see what happens with that jack flaherty doing what jack flaherty has done all too often in the second half so far hopefully that continues We will be back next week to break it all down, talk about what happened in this final week, how the Brewers and the Cardinals ended up deciding the division, and what kind of postseason play the Cardinals will be looking at. So make sure that you are following the podcast, Birds on the Black podcast, on any of your favorite podcast listening services. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman, Alex is at AlexCard79, And you can follow Birds on the Black as well. There's plenty of content there, and I'm sure there will be throughout the postseason for the Cardinals. So thanks again for listening. I'm Tara. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.